Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of our History of Video Gaming. I'm Wes, and I'm joined here with Ben. How's it going, Ben? It's going great. How are you, Wes? I've been doing pretty good. So uh, let's kick it off as we usually do. Uh, what games have you been playing? Well, I've kind of been in one of those like weird situations where I'm kind of looking for a game to play. So I've been playing a lot of games for like an hour, and then I uninstall them. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been playing a bit of RuneScape lately. Getting into it a little bit. I'm still kind of salty because my last account got hacked, and then, <laughs> um, I was playing Hardcore Iron Man, which is like once you die, your high score in the like scoreboard gets set and then you know that's how high you were so right. my hacker died and not only that he died and then took me off of iron man entirely which like prevents you from trading with other players and stuff which is kind of the whole point of why i made the character <laughs> um, oh jeez! so that was annoying and then i found out that runescape's customer support is they don't have one <laughs> um so that was fun yeah I was like, this is an MMO, and you're telling me I can't call somebody and talk about this? Really? They have no line? No they have phone? no line, and they have no email. You have to submit, like, what? a ticket, and then you get this automatic email back to you that says, in my case, it was like, we've reviewed your case and have restored your account, because um, my hacker got banned <laughs> right, um, for botting. <laughs> And then it was like, this is not a, you know, human email. You cannot reply to this email. So I was like, this is ridiculous. So, Weird. yeah. So I've been pretty salty about that, but. You <laughs> but know. Still playing a little bit, still enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. It's, I kind of was in the mood for it a little bit when I found out my account got hacked. So I've been playing a little bit. I started a new I hardcore Iron Man. I've already died on it, <laughs> which made me even more salty because I died at a point where I had already like gone through that with my old account. So that was annoying. And so I kept that one as like a, like a backup and I started a third account. Oh my God. And it sucks because you can't delete your character either on RuneScape because nothing makes sense. So... <laughs> If you are a hardcore Iron Man and you die, instead of deleting a character and making a new one, you have to register a new email and do all that. I was like, so it's just when you die in Iron Man, it's just like a dead account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so strange. <laughs> so that that you know, my week's been a little upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you need to play something else. I'm thinking. Get a, yeah, I know. Get I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I don't want to jump the gun but uh mario maker 2 is coming out next week and i heard that you've been playing something wes oh yeah yeah that's oh, what a great segue ben <laughs> <laughs> so uh for the not even the past week because i've been on vacation but for the past weekend i uh finally decided like two years late time to get a switch mm -hmm. and like overnight just became a nintendo fanboy even though i didn't used to before <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like such a cool system the I'm not a big handheld gamer, but the screen's a nice size and the controllers work pretty well. And I'm just a huge fan. And I was mainly getting into it. Uh, I think it was last week that I briefly mentioned that I'm one of the like two people that still play uh, Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I saw Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu was out and I had to get it. And it is really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think some people had uh, complaints about it because it's easy and it definitely is pretty easy 
but I don't really mind. I kind of just wanted like the Pokemon experience and yeah, all of them have 3d models and it's like a full 3d game. So it's not like you're playing on the uh, game boy or anything. Right. And it has a battle system sort of like, uh, I don't know if you remember um, Pokemon stadium and the battling that oh, they had yeah. in that game. Oh, on the, on I love that. I love that game. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, the battling is similar to all the other games, but it has, like, those, like, camera angles and, like, dramatic zoom in. And then nice. animations for all the uh, moves. It's pretty great. I've been loving it. Good. Yeah. I mean, of all the consoles out there, the Switch is the only one that I'm interested in, honestly. It just has, like, the first-party games are just the best first-party games, in my opinion, by far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, it's the PlayStation exclusives I see every now and then where I'm like, ah, oh, man, I could get it for that. But everything else is like, I might as well just play it on PC. Yeah, and I feel like the Nintendo exclusives are games that I feel I could play for hundreds of hours, whereas, like, I think it wasn't, like, God of War, like, a PS4 exclusive. And, like, that's a that sounds like an amazing game, but it's a, like, you know, 50 to 100 hour game and then you're done. <laughs> right oh yeah. it's not Which, that's to be not it's a lot but. yeah it is a lot but it's not like a console selling a lot for me you know right yeah you're not gonna pay 400 or whatever it is for a ps4 to upgrade to ps4 just to get just got a war yeah right. whereas, <laughs> whereas like, for, yeah with the oh. switch you've got um like mario maker 2 coming out which i'm a huge mario maker fan um, i'll tell you the the second one that the main reason we bought it one i wanted pikachu and my brother really wanted and also i really wanted breath of the wild of course yeah, breath of the wild which, i'm i have a wii u so i could get that technically oh okay i didn't yeah. know they did it on the wii u yeah it was like the last game but also like smash brothers another one that comes to mind where people just play yeah. that for hundreds of hours you know yeah exactly it's it's a great party game too yeah tons of great party games like mario party you know i would play that right now <laughs> yeah mario kart yeah mario kart and, uh, so even for whatever reason i found that there's warframe on the switch so <laughs> heck yeah man <laughs> i might download that and we'll probably end up hating the controls and go back to pc anyway but i at least want to see what it's like <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean mario maker 2 comes out next week Ooh. and i don't know if you've seen like some of the teasers for it but it's so good looking <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know if it's worth buying a whole console for it, but I probably will. Yeah, well, <laughs> think about the other games, but if you got that in the mind, the more you think about it, you're just selling yourself on it more. Like, I yeah. think you might already be a <laughs> foregone <know>. conclusion. <laughs> Part of me feels like, like, I didn't play Mario Maker 1 that much, honestly. Like, it was probably enough to warrant buying a really old Wii U, because I bought it, like, a couple, like, maybe two years after Mario Maker already came out. Oh, uh, okay. Um but i feel like part of the hype about playing a game like that is you're playing it right when it launches you know and so yeah, all the brand new maps things, together yeah there's gonna be so many new like uh obstacles and stuff and you know kind of being in the moment and playing it as it's happening i feel like could be really fun and also there's a story mode this time that i'm really interested in so Ooh, i know nice. they didn't have that the first one Man, if you're in the Mario mood, then you could just play that game forever. I know, and it and sounds like <laughs> the story mode is is even like a you like you play missions to rebuild the castle, like from like Mario sixty four. So it okay. even has like a base building sort of you know oh itch God. that I'm gonna stra- scratch. So <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's freaking like XCOM Mario. I know. So actually, no, they did that. That was like Mario versus Rabbids or something. Oh yeah, that was, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> there was an XCOM Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other than your Pokemon game, have you gotten any other ones on the Switch so far? Just uh, Breath of the Wilds. We're getting it delivered, I think, by the end of the week. Nice. But I mean, let's go. Pikachu is definitely gonna. I can play that for a decent bit of time. Stave me off until the uh, Sword and Shield Pokemon Sword and Shield releases in uh, November. Nice. That'll be fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, I I think without further ado, we should get into the special topic this week. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, today's not uh, a that big of a one. But I wanted to talk about the company Allied Leisure because they're one of the big companies here at the beginning of the Pong era, basically making Paddle Battle, which was the first Pong clone. Um, and that did so well, it outsold Pong itself. So I kind of thought, you know, they seem like a pretty big company. Maybe we should talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows Allied Leisure nowadays. Even like if you look them up on Wikipedia, they eventually were bought out by somebody and like the wikipedia page is under that name so it's not even you can't even barely find it oh weird <laughs> mm-hmm. but um yeah so allied leisure is a company in florida by the time pong came out in 72 they had been in the arcade industry for about four to five years and had been making you know classic arcade games you know a lot of electromechanical stuff some pinball stuff but obviously weren't into video games until one of their contacts found Pong in California in like a local bar right as it was, you know, first being released and sent it off to the execs down in Florida and said, hey, this is going to be big. We should look into this. And that was something that really paid off, obviously, because they were one of the first companies to have a Pong clone on the market and as a company that already was producing, you know, 100 machines a day, they could just, you know, really sell a lot of copies of Paddle Battle. Whereas right, Atari, so Atari, which was, they just kind of <laughs> made a game and were like, oh shoot, how do we sell this? I know, like, <laughs> I think when, a, when Atari made Pong, I think the company was only three people. Yeah, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. I think I remember reading that they, when it was released, they could only make four arcade machines a day whereas like (laughs) a year later in 1973 they were making i think like 150 you know something like that wow yeah so allied leisure was almost at that point already and as soon as they apparently they i read that allied leisure since they had never made a video game before they literally like bought a, a pong arcade machine and had to tear it apart and be like what is going on because we don't know how to do this <laughs> and then like kind of replicate the parts but it worked out for them and they got a lot of money and expanded and made more <laughs> and expanded and um one interesting thing that's going to happen we're going to talk about it's the first game of today's timeline is they're going to come out with the first four player version of pong before atari does wow which is really gonna make atari mad <laughs> but they you know were on top of things and um could kind of see where the market was going in in, in that way so allied leisure just got bigger and bigger and was selling more and more and then disaster struck <laughs> so in uh early 1974 which is after what we're going to be talking about today but you know they're doing good 
they're making a lot of games and then their building where they manufacture all these games catches fire oh jeez! yeah catches fire and burns down and it apparently is so big it burns i think three entire buildings i've read that some people say it was arson other people say it was just electrical malfunction but in either case, it's estimated that they lost over over a million dollars in damages and had Gee. to buy a completely new building to move everything to. <laughs> so I can't imagine like being in a company, you're expanding, you're like hiring like people every day and then the place that you're working in burns down and you're like, oh my God, where, where are we going to put all these people <laughs> and all these yeah. machines? Um, That's insane. Yeah. But apparently... Within three months, they were back to full production, even with the fire. But um, I, I definitely think it was a big hit on them. And you'll see in 1974, they're just not at the same level that they were in, in 73, where they're kind of anticipating the market and being the first one on the scene. In 74, they take a backseat. I mean, they're still kind of big, but they take a backseat. And they also have some... I don't want to say leadership changes, but a couple important people leave that I want to mention real quick. Allied Leisure at one point had Gene Lipkin in their uh, staff, and he would go on to leave them and go to Atari and become the president of Atari's arcade division until 1981. So (laughs) a pretty big executive would go and join Atari during this time. They also lost somebody else named... Joel Hochberg, who would become a pretty prominent developer at Atari as well. So they lost some key personnel or personnel during this time period. And obviously they lost their entire warehouse and tons of equipment during this time as well. So kind of a a bad time for Allied Leisure in 74. And I don't know if it was because of that or because of their nature of wanting to be the first on the scene. But whatever it was, in 1974, they kind of went back into the pinball and arcade and electromechanical side of things and kind of took a backseat in video gaming. And this was kind of expounded upon when, right around this time, a lot of states were kind of allowing gambling to some extent or thinking about allowing it. So they wanted to be the first on the slot machine sort of market. And they kind of went all in on that, and it didn't really do that well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They also went all in on one of the very first ever photo booths, which ended up, the the cost to purchase one was over $12,000. And while it was supposed to be like a big thing for them, they only sold about 20. So, yeah, um, not too good. So they had, so with all the hits that they had, they also had some misses coming up would kind of push them out of the you know video game spotlight in 1974 and that continues through 75 and the rest of their sort of history throughout the 70s i mean they have some pretty big video game hits every now and then and then they take a back seat you know they're not in it just for video games they're an arcade manufacturer and they're looking for the next big fad that they can jump on which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't so I thought it was a really interesting history. Um, there's a lot more to talk about, obviously, but since we're only in 1973, I didn't want to go too far ahead. But yeah, you know, I think it's just so crazy that you have the company that sold more than Pong did and then beat Pong when it comes to the four-player version. 
and beat Atari to that and then have a fire and kind of right decide yeah, to leave video gaming it's kind of weird to me but everything just snowballs after that and i guess wrong decisions or weird happenstance like the fire and whatever else just ended up with them kind of falling by the wayside and getting away from gaming yeah i mean uh, part of me feels like you know some of the big companies that made pong clones and went into the industry after a couple of atari hits they're like okay this isn't just a pong fad this is a, a full industry that we want to be a part of and they kind of go into a big time but right. i feel like allied leisure they thought of it more of a fad and then they were uh, you know chasing the next one and they didn't really think about the long term of you know we could build the technology and the the personnel to make this industry our big one even though it gave them tons of success at the beginning they just didn't right, see down the line i think didn't think it would be sustainable i guess and didn't predict that it would become you know the huge thing that it would be right which is kind of strange but i don't know i, I thought it was really interesting um because we'll, we'll be talking about them today obviously and um i think even on our next episode and then we won't see them that much so i mean they'll come back every now and then but right give some context to why they might start to disappear a little bit (laughs) yeah especially for being you know one of the most successful pong clones ever made so yeah i thought there's a little background about allied leisure from florida we'll be talking about some other companies in the future so keep an eye out and i think without further ado let's get into the timeline sounds good Welcome back. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that musical interlude. If you don't know, I do all those by myself. So Woo! I know. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> Even though I have no idea what feature Ben has put in there, hopefully it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so getting into the timeline, we have the first game being Tennis Tourney by Allied Leisure, which came out in July of 73. And obviously we just talked about Allied Leisure. This is their four player version of Pong that beat Atari's version by two months. So pretty important little game in the history of a video game. We didn't feel the need to cover it because, you know, it's Pong, but there's two more paddles and like kind of closer to the middle where, you know, two more players would play. So it's just a four player version of Pong. So we didn't feel like we needed to get into that because it's kind of the same, but it was the first four player sort of arcade game, I believe. So. Oh, wow. That's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I don't know if there's really much more to say about it. No, and and as we'll see, there's going to be many similar things. Uh, Like you mentioned, two months later, Pong Doubles, which is the Atari one, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Came out, and four-player version of Pong, basically same thing. You got the two paddles on either side, and they're kind of staggered, like you would imagine a tennis court and how doubles and actual tennis would work. Right. 
and following that come all of the pong doubles clones <laughs> you know there's gonna be a lot <laughs> and there is quite a list so let me go through these just to give you an idea of how many there were uh there was one called tv tennis by u.s billiards which was either two or four players uh, another called tv tennis by chicago coin which was either two or four players these names at the beginning they're they're like so simple compared to what we have now <laughs> yeah there's i guess there's only so many ways that you can arrange tennis and what you're playing it on or <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna go through all of them don't you worry <laughs> <laughs> and then we have pro tennis by williams electronics two to four players winner four which is one that we saw uh the other winner games by midway mm-hmm Table tennis, just straight up by Nutting Associates, which was either one or two players. Uh, Olympic tennis by C Fun, which you mentioned, just S E E and Fun, two very basic words make it very hard to research a company like that. Yes. <laughs> and then TV hockey by Amutronics. Yeah, and all those came out. I want to say like from September of '73 to the end of '73, so like. Within a couple months, people are right, on, maybe... on, on top of Atari at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so another uh, Pong doubles clone is Soccer by Tatio, which also came out in 73. And I wanted to give a sort of special mention to this one because it used a trackball to control your paddle. So like the trackball mouses that we have today, like the big, uh, they're just like a big sphere, right? You just roll right, it. Right, yeah. They had that, which probably didn't make any sense, but it was the first game to use a trackball. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, getting invented with the peripherals at least. Yeah. So those are the Pong doubles clones. They're not in order of how they came out, but there's just too many. We just wanted to quick mention them. So yeah, quite a few. And without further ado, let's get out of that (laughs) (laughs) and go to something very different from the Pong clones that we have, but slightly familiar from stuff stuff that we've played before. I know, and And we're gonna be we're gonna hold on before we do. I want to quickly mention the next. I want to say four games we're going to be talking about are all computer games. So I kind of grouped them up a little bit. Oh, Um, that's right. Yeah, we get a little bit of a divergent from doing all the arcade cabinet video games that we have been. Yeah. So hopefully. You guys can follow that a little bit easier. So the first one that I got a chance to play is Trek 73, uh, which was made in 1973 and is a Star Trek game. Very clever name. Oh, yeah. Um, and this one was created for the Hewlett Packard 2000 mini computer. Oh, Which yeah. I feel like that's the first time we see HP show up as far as on the computer end of uh, stuff that games were actually running on. Yeah, I think so. And this was written, uh, it's a text-based game, written in BASIC, as with a lot of things that were coming out in this time. And this one was a little bit different from the previous Star Trek text games that it came out, because instead of being sort of grand strategy, move from place to place, and you have a bunch of different encounters that could happen, this is focused on a battle and all the tactics within those that ship-to-ship battle. And it could be between one ship, which is all I tried because the game is so incredibly complex (laughs) but it can go all the way up to nine ships that you're fighting against and i have no idea how you'd have to make that work you'd have to be a real good (laughs) captain to be able to pull that off (laughs) Uh, so my first impressions when i was jumping into this is man it's really complex i don't know how i would have gotten through it without the list that you graciously gave me that described all the different moves and then went into detail for what you do with all of those 29 separate moves i think there was 32 but some of them were just uh different options that would actually do something to the computer like save game or stuff like that right but it's just so many different things and uh 
contingencies for if your ship is getting busted. Like you have a one command that is tell your phasers to lock, and then you have another command that's manually aim your phasers based on a 360 degrees <laughs> and aim it at the enemy ship if the lock is broken and your phaser's damaged. Oh man, yeah. I didn't even know that yeah. could happen. It's it can, and luckily I only played through once because it took me about twenty to thirty minutes. But a lot of interesting stuff happened on my playthrough. <laughs> oh, wow, cool! Found out that realistically, uh, like a ship, if you turn, you can turn your phasers to point inside your ship so that they're pointing. You know, if you were like a broadside to the enemy ship, so that two of your phasers were actually facing, but the other two just wouldn't fire because they're facing inside your ship. And okay. It doesn't tell you that till after you execute the command. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the amount of uh, calculating angles, and I, I was starting to get it towards the end. Like, uh, there's some free moves you can do that give you information and don't take a turn, where you can see what degree the ship is heading at you, and then what speed their ship is heading at, and then what degree you're heading at, and kind of reckon between those two degrees to figure out where you have to aim. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy because the phasers i think have travel time of about one turn or dependent on the distance between your two ships and the torpedoes also have travel time so you'll fire them and don't don't see anything happen for a couple turns oh interesting yeah so it, i was really guessing for a lot of it <laughs> uh but i did get the lucky thing where i read in the manual that you could uh make your phaser have a wider spread so that it hits more targets and i took out about five of their torpedoes one turn before they hit me yo nice i i felt it felt pretty good and i was starting to get the how this game could be really really good if you were really into it like you spent a lot of time learning all the tactics yeah can wait did, did you hit the torpedoes after they fired them or you fire you hit like the torpedo bays no so the torpedoes after they fired them oh wow because the the distance that their ship was away from me, I think it was, it ended up being about like two turns of travel time before their torpedoes hit me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of just blind fired because I wanted to test it. And you can set the <laughs> angle of your phaser so that it's either 10 degree spread or 45 degree spread. It's, yeah, I mean, I could keep going into it, but it, it was, it, to sum up a lot of what I'm talking about, what makes this game really cool, but also pretty bad if you're just trying to jump into it (laughs) is how incredibly complex it is yeah uh it's i mean for the playthrough that i did uh it's really hard to get in quickly but if you're like a diehard trekkie or anyone who like really loves strategy i think you could pour a lot of time into it learn all the strategies and really feel like a competent captain of the enterprise and fly around and feel like a badass blowing up all the other ships (laughs) yeah i you know i felt kind of the same way when i played that last star trek game as well the 1971 even though that one was across the universe like right after i played it for a while i kind of was just like when you did it did you were you able to stop looking at the commands after a while not with 29 commands no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, did, so you use most of them then i used uh i want to say i used about like 14 different ones depending on the situation mm-hmm. um there's one I used every turn, which just told you like where each each ship was, where your ship was, and the enemy ship, right. and that was a free action. And then you know, like manually moving, locking, loading torpedoes, firing torpedoes. Those are all separate actions. So it, I was starting to get a flow for like the 
combat part of it, but the movement stuff was still, I had to look it up every time. Okay. Yeah, I forget how many actions the 1971 game had, but I, th- I want to say it was maybe like 12 or something, you know? It wasn't near right. as many. Still a lot, though, and it kind of seems like these early Star Trek games were really geared at like the enthusiasts and hardcore Star Trek fans who really wanted a as realistic experience as you could get at the time. Yeah, and to be fair, I think both of these games were very popular in their time. So I believe it, yeah, because yeah. I mean, now I think... I have the almost like negative of having so many games that pull me in with visuals mm-hmm. that like a text game that has this much strategy, it's a little harder for me to get into because I don't have like that other appeal to be like, hey, keep learning this strategy because this game is visually appealing or whatever else. Right. But for somebody who just loves strategy and I could see it being really good. But uh, going on to my ratings, it's going to seem a little harsh because I <laughs> my uh, current day you know standards and also my views of it for graphics i just gave it a one out of ten because this text game no graphics there was one move that i found out at the very end you could do that showed a sort of like using like ascii characters you know like a rendering of a map 360 degrees around the enterprise and it would show you like where torpedoes were where the enemy ship was based on a certain range Mm -hmm. so that i think if i'd used that more would have been more interesting and kind of given me a better uh gauge of the battlefield and i think that was also a free move so there's not really you could be real tactical and just use that every single turn right but other than that there wasn't too much going on graphically so that's one out of ten sound nothing going on there zero out of ten gameplay uh i gave two out of ten which i'm talking about the game a lot but just the complexity for getting into it quickly was too much i think yeah well, um, with 29 different commands <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I, I think it's depending on who you are, like this game could be a eight out of ten if you love strategy and tons of options. But for me, two out of ten. Mm-hmm. For relevance, I think, you know, it's just another iteration of a Star Trek game, so I just gave it a two out of ten. I don't think it did anything particularly like huge and impactful, but it is just more Star Trek games. So relevant in the fact that it's mirroring the shows that were uh, popular at the time. Yeah. And all that considered, I gave it a overall rating of a 2 out of 10. I think it's inventive, and it's awesome to see that the people who were making these Star Trek games had a real dedication to saying, like, these are all the possible things that the captain could do in the show. And they had mention of, like, uh, some specific tactics in the manual I was looking at that Kirk did in the show that you could also do when you were oh, playing cool. the game. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I remember when I looked at the manual before I gave it to you, there was some in there that was like why would anybody do this? Like, I feel like wasn't one of them like put airlocks in the engineering bay or something like that. I'm like, how detailed does this get? (laughs) Yeah. You can jettison the whole engineering bay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what does that do? Why would you do that? It says later in the instructions that it's basically like a suicide gesture because you can blow up the engineering bay, but like you have massive casualties, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, brings me to how mine actually ended when I was going through it. I didn't think I was doing that but I guess I did enough damage to the enemy ship that they were like, all right, we're going to self-destruct. So Spock, Spock told me, he's like, hey, they just did something. That means they're probably going to self-destruct. So I started going, uh, there's a command to just go exactly the opposite direction of the enemy ship. Oh, nice. And I did that full speed for like two turns, but I had no idea what the timer was for self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe they aborted. So I did an about face, <laughs> got ready to fire my phasers, 
and then I was just within the range that they ended up self-destructing that next turn and it blew up my whole ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wow. So I didn't really, I definitely didn't win, but I feel like that's a win. After, yeah. I mean, it, I, I got the bad guy, but also everybody else died. So <laughs> <laughs> depends on your uh, perspective. They had a little bit of flavor text after that was like, a scout flies by the battlefield later and sees the wreckage of two ships. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So overall, I think it was the concept and all the strategy you can do in it are super cool. But for me, with the games that I have now, going into it now, I'd need a little bit more to keep me engrossed and keep me wanting to learn more about it. Yeah. I mean, it feels like one of those games where a lot of what would be done like under the hood in a game for today, you get to do manually like with all the angles and stuff. Right, we're talking yeah. about like, like XCOM's a real. I love that strategy game, but it's also fairly simplified. I mean, you get yeah. to make your own angles, but compared to this, it's like <laughs> seems pretty simple. I mean, at least XCOM, you can physically see, you know, yes. what's in front of you, <laughs> which is uh, I'm sure a huge reason why I love that game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, sounds like a fun game though. All in all, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's actually something that like given some downtime i might poke around with some more because like i said if you got super into it i could see it being pretty fun yeah i mean it seems like it has more depth than something like uh like high noon for instance right yeah where's that there's only a couple situations you could uh put yourself in against black bart oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think that was his name (laughs) yeah all right well uh check 73 computer game there you go Yeah. yeah let's talk about 101 other computer games, Wes. Because <laughs> um, the 101 basic computer games manual comes out in 1973, and I looked at almost all of them. Oh, my um, God. I know. I want to give a big shout-out. Um, I found a YouTuber who actually played through all these, and if I if I hadn't find this, found this guy, I wouldn't have like looked at this because there was just too many. But he played through almost all of them, all of them that he could get working. His name wow. is uh, Hippolito Picardo, and he's uh, he he looked like he was streaming on Twitch when he was doing it. Although I've looked at his Twitch channel now, it doesn't seem that active. But I thought he was actually a pretty good YouTuber. So be sure to check him out. Maybe we'll yeah, put that's a, pretty impressive too. Yeah, we'll put a link in the description um, of this uh, podcast so you guys can check him out. He also has a nice um. Excel spreadsheet of all the games he's been playing. He he kind of has been playing through historically like like we have, but he started a lot later and seems to be mainly focused on the computer games. Gotcha. But um yeah, be sure to check him out. Um his YouTube channel has basically every one of the 101 games <laughs> that I watched and there's a lot of really cool ones in there. Um just to mention a couple, uh Hangman, Monopoly, uh, there's one game called AC Ducey and Tower and War <laughs> and Numbers and, and Chomp, Poker, a game called Bagels and Blackjack, <laughs> uh, Reverse, Animal, Nycoma, Dog, and that's it for for the ones that uh, I thought were kind of extra special. There's a lot of games in there that are very like throwaway sort of mathy games, but there's also like a fair amount of those that we play. I mean, people play like online poker like whole day every day even today so this is like the first version of that almost wow and i thought monopoly seems like very complicated to have as a text-based game but it was like you know you 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 type roll and it was like you rolled four you land on 
whatever street, you know, cost this much right. money. <laughs> I was like, hey, let's keep it chat. And I think you could go to jail, you could get chance cards. So, wow, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I know. I was like, wow. So, um, or is, you know, Hangman against the computer, not that in- in- exciting, but still interesting. <laughs> um, well, I 101 to, can't all be hits. <laughs> I know. I wanted to mention the 101 basic because for those of you who have been listening to us, through this you know that we've already been playing some basic games and even um like an old menu came out in 1971 that we talked about that included like Hammurabi and stuff and this one also includes Hammurabi because it was made by the same dude who's I think it's David Al yeah David Al so basically in 1971 I believe that he made like a little manual that he distributed around his uh university to people but in 73, he like published the book and that went everywhere. So that's kind of the difference between the two. And, you know, a lot of the 71 games were in the 73 version as well as a, a lot of new ones. So, and he would also redo this book multiple times throughout the next couple of years. So if you, you know, look this up on your own, just be aware that there's like a 1975 version, a 76. Just be careful. There's also some games that came from the People's Computer Company, like, I want to say it's a magazine or newsletter, I think it was called, but it seemed to be a local newsletter where people would submit their computer program and it might get featured, and they're mostly all games. So a lot of these games were in that newsletter as well, but there were also some games that were just in the newsletter, such as Taxman, which is a game about... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I kind of forget what it's about. I don't think it's about doing taxes, but maybe collecting taxes. Who yeah, knows? maybe collecting I mean, some mathematical game. But uh, yeah, so 101 Basic Game Book came out, as well as the People's Computer Company newsletter. Which again, check out Hippolito Picardo because I did not find the People's Computer Company newsletter until I looked at his videos, and I don't even know where he got it. So yeah. Be sure to check them out. Cool. There's a couple other basic games. I think, why don't you talk us about one that's maybe a little bit more special, Wes? Yeah, so this one, it's a uh, game is going to be a little bit loose. Uh, it's it's interesting in the way that it generates a physical game for you to play. So this one was called Amazing. Emphasis on the maze there, because it's a right. generator <laughs> that makes a maze for you, and then you print it out, and uh, you can actually solve the maze with like pen and paper. But the main thing about this was that it randomly generated different mazes. So uh, not exactly video game per se, but has random generation in it and is able to create a game for you to play from this uh, using the basic language. Yeah, and I saw Hippolito Picardo play this or generate some mazes, and the mazes look like the kind that you would find in like the New York Times or something, you know? like Really? Okay. Yeah, really nice looking mazes. Um, You could put in how long and wide you wanted it to be. I think the max was like 19 by 19 or something like that. Mm. And they were, they were pretty complicated. So, and they Mm. always looked very nice. There wasn't like two like wide gaps and stuff, you know? Right. Um, it all looked like very organic. So yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Props to that one. And then I've got one more, or I guess two, technically two more basic games that I actually looked at and rated because um, I thought we should probably rate at least one of the 101 basic games. <laughs> um, but this one, 
really two games. One's called Life and one's called Life 2 that I looked at. So both these games are based off of Conway's Game of Life, which was like a theory by British mathematician John Conway in 1970 that had basically a very simple rule set that then would do weird things by itself. (laughs) Basically, it had a very simple rule set, but then it would sort of auto-generate into a new game state, and then the rule set would apply to that game state and would auto-generate. And so after a bunch of generations, the game state would kind of change and evolve by itself, which, you know, some people... That's why it's called like the game of life. It's kind of supposed to replicate, you know, things evolving by itself or dying out by themselves. So the game of life itself, John Conway's version is life one in this 101 basic game book. So it's hard to play, you know, con- consider playing that because basically you just set initial state and then you hit start and then the computer just generates, you know, infinitely the next game state. <laughs> Right. And I do mean infinitely, like I couldn't stop it. Like you have <laughs> you have to like exit the you know, like kill the program to stop it. It was like generation one thousand, generation fifteen thousand, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh. But it's really cool to see because you might start with like three dots beside each other and then the next generation would be like three dots and one in the middle or something like that. And it keeps growing keeps growing like parts of it might die off parts of it grows back it could be interesting I mean, yeah there's some like weird it kind of looks like if you're watching like bacteria grow in a petri dish or something like that <laughs> really quickly the rules of the game they're complicated so just a warning but they're also like weirdly <laughs> simple so basically imagine like a grid like we'll say 10 by 10 grid and you've got like a point of five 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 right now, if that point doesn't have any neighbors, like five, six would be a neighbor. So if it has no neighbors, it'll die off and won't come back. If it has one neighbor, like five, five and five, six, they're neighbors, both of them will die off. But if it has two neighbors, like you have five, four, five, 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 six, and five, five has those two neighbors, that'll live. But then again, you have to keep in mind the neighbors will die because they only have one neighbor. So five four dies, five six dies, and also something can, like they call it, be birthed. If it if it's an empty square and there's three selected points beside it, including diagonally, it'll birth. So in the five four five 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 six sort of scenario, uh, gosh, I have to do math. I, I hate doing math, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be what six five. I'm trusting you that sounds <laughs> The one like above those three, right? Right. Um, which would be empty square. It's it's uh, got three neighbors, five, 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 four, five, six are diagonal neighbors. Right. That'll be birthed in the same thing with the opposite side. So basically if you have like a ver- like a horizontal line of three dots after the birth, like the other ones get birthed and some of them die, it'll be a vertical line. That's like the simplest example. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Also, if something is completely encased, meaning it has four, at least four neighbors, it'll die. So it seems like kind of simple rules, but when the patterns are like ran- completely all over the place and you've got like 10 dots to think of, 
it's impossible to like keep track of but that's kind of how the game works and life is the original game of life is literally just you put in initial condition and then it simulates things dying and birthing forever (laughs) sometimes everything dies you know and you're just left with a blank screen after a certain amount of time sometimes you can get to this state where it'll make like a a certain shape like a diamond for example and then the diamond will never change that you know the same amount of things get birthed and destroyed forever so it's always that um and then other times it'll continually you know change and make new shapes forever so you can kind of just play with it and but it's not really a game but life 2 is a game life 2 is like a 10 by 10 grid and you have three points you start with and you're facing an opponent who has three points to start with and then you're trying to destroy all of your opponents like uh you know selected life things <laughs> okay in the game they used uh i think hashtags and stars so one person was the stars and their stuff could die and live and the other person was the hashtags and remember if there was an empty square and it had three neighbors it would live but if like two of those neighbors were your opponents, then your opponent would get that new square and they would get a new token. If two of the three to make that thing live were yours, you'd get the token. I oh hope this goodness. isn't too okay. complicated. But uh, it's, I mean, I definitely getting a little lost, but I think I get the basic idea of what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, at the same time, it is really complicated, like extremely complicated. And I barely had any idea what's going on. but the rules behind it are more or less simple right it's just like when you put it into practice it like falls apart but yeah you can't keep track of all those rules when it's happening so fast and on such a large scale yeah so i don't know i felt really weird about rating this game because i feel like if if this were like a board game for instance it kind of reminded me of like go or something like that like a really complicated board game and i could kind of see some old people sitting around a table playing this by hand and like really taking their time and thinking about every single thing that might happen after they make a move Mm -hmm. and it being like really intellectually and logically interesting. So I feel like it has potential for that and it could be fun. Um, but you really would have to spend a long time with it and really enjoy complex logic games like chess or go or something like that. But unlike something like chess that you could probably really easily just jump into, you can't just jump into this game. Like, you'll just be guessing, you know? Right. So, I don't know. I I ended up giving the gameplay a 2 out of 10 because I feel like it has, it has potential. It might have its niche of people that might enjoy it. And, in fact, as I was researching the Conway's original Game of Life, like, there's people that play that game and, or, or you know, mess around with that. Uh, program and have even made their own multiplayer versions and people are playing it today so oh wow yeah I mean people are doing this but it's definitely niche you know it's not a normal person's not going to enjoy this game even me who likes games like chess and go I was like this is too far (laughs) this is too much (laughs) and also I feel like the game itself has some big flaws at least in this iteration because in this iteration player one always goes first and they have to put in where they're going to go you know if you're going to go to 5-5 player 2 can't also go to 5-5 because that's where player 1 went so player 2 I feel like always gets the advantage by 
knowing what where player one went and then gets to respond right Whereas player one time. yeah player one just has to put a point down they don't know what player two is going to do so i feel like player two has a massive advantage in the game at least in this iteration maybe other ones account for that somehow like i don't i feel like it'd be hard to do because even if you even if both were hidden if both players pick the same spot like who gets it and right. then what happens so I don't know. I feel like there's some flaws in the game, and that's why I felt comfortable giving it a two out of ten. But it's definitely an interesting one. Graphically, I gave it a one and a half out of ten. You know, it's just a bunch of dots and and <laughs> stars and uh, like hashtags. But right, I honestly thought the game didn't really need that much more because it's basically you're just keeping track of if this certain point is selected and by which player, and that's it. So even like on today's nicer versions is you know very basic in terms of graphics so i didn't think it needed that much but at the same time the one thing i wasn't going to excuse it for was you're playing on a grid and there's no grid lines so (laughs) like if the whole bottom half of the screen had no points on it you might be like oh i need to go to six seven it's like wait is that six eight (laughs) you know like right because you had to like kind of like find it and without grid lines it's kind of hard but so you know it's nothing to write home about but it does its job okay <laughs> uh there's no sound so i couldn't give it any sound for relevance i give it a seven i think it's well, i wanted to give it a high relevant because it's based on conway's game of life which apparently is very popular <laughs> like if you go to the wikipedia page on conway's game of life it's massive let me see if i can find it it mentioned some of the uses people have done with it. It says scholars in various fields such as computer science, physics, biology, biochemistry, economics, mathematics, philosophy, and generative sciences have made use of this. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it must have his idea had implications in tons of different fields. Yeah. And I don't like his thing needed, I think, a computer to do it. Because part of it is doing, you know, thousands of iterations of something right. over and over and over again. You could do it by hand, I guess. But I think he did it on a computer. And I don't think life was the, was the version that he did. But, you know, this being a computer program was what made it influential, I feel like. So, yeah, I think, it, I think it's pretty influential. So, 7 out of 10, that gives the game sort of, if you average all those, about a 2.5 out of 10. Which I think is pretty fair. It's It was a very interesting one. Very complicated, but simple at the same time. And I don't know, because of that, it made me feel really stupid. But <laughs> um, I feel like if you spent a long time with it and you really enjoyed it, it could be very fun. So, right. But can you find two people that find it fun? I don't know. Well, that's the risk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, one Maybe we can put another link in the description for the Wikipedia page because there's a lot of like gifs and stuff of patterns that repeat over and over again and they're like, this makes a duck. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like two lines in a square and it's like, after the birthing and, you know, rebirthing, this makes a duck. And you're like, right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone interested in digging into that more, yeah, we can link that so that people can explore more if they're super interested in that. I feel like if you're a math teacher, you should check this out. I feel like you'd like it. Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Um, I think that's all with that one. All right. Well, then let's move on to something back on the other side. Going back to Pong clones. Um, this one's a Pong can't stay away. Clone. <laughs> can't stay away. Neither could any of the companies who were making them. Uh, <laughs> this one's slightly different than the other ones. It's called Pro Hockey, and it's by Williams Electronics, and also came out sometime in '73. Um, but the way that this one was different is that there was half a rectangle representing a goal where the ball, or I guess if it's going to be pro hockey, the puck would have to go to get points. And if one team was two points up or more, uh, their goal would get bigger, making it harder for them. So there's sort of like a adaptive thing where depending on how one team's doing, it evens it out so the other team has more of a chance. So Paul and Clone, but puts their own spin on it to make it interesting. Yeah, I think it's a good spin too. Kind of like it's an automatic handicap, you know? Yeah, sort of like an ongoing handicap, which is a little bit weird, but an interesting concept and a good way to mix up what had already been going on with Pong. Yeah, for sure. And so going on to that, uh, we get into a not Pong game and by Atari, nonetheless. So (laughs) (laughs) this is the the king, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This one's called Gotcha, and this is another one that I got to play. It was in October 11th of 73 that it was made, and it was made by Alan Alcorn, who's the guy who uh, made all the programming for Pong. So this one, uh, just some brief history on it, was Atari's fourth game. Didn't end up being super well-received, and it has some weird stuff that, I don't know if it was controversial at the time, but uh, some of the stuff I was reading about it made it seem like it was received a little bit controversially. The flyer for it, and keep in mind this game is just two dots chasing each other through a maze basically the flyer for it is a man chasing a woman in the nightdress oh god and there's some real weird uh sexual tone going on for a game that's literally like a plus sign and a square chasing each other (laughs) and apparently in the original design for this cabinet which i don't think was released it ended up getting changed the joysticks that you would use were two domes that i don't know if they were intended to or not but they kind of looked like boobs. Oh God. So there's some <laughs> weird background for this one. I, I think they knew exactly what they were thinking, but <laughs> the market was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like it was generally considered that this one wasn't a commercial success, but it is Atari trying something new and showing that they are always willing to throw something else out there. So for the gameplay for this, it's two player. One person's the square, who is the pursuer, and then the other person's the plus sign, which is the pursued, which are kind of intimidating terms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it could just be hide and seek, you know? But Yeah, exactly. They tag to, or something. <laughs> Let's think of it that way, because it makes it seem a lot less sinister. Yeah. The plus sign is running away, and the square is chasing, and... Uh, plus sign it looked like it was either a timer or the plus sign gets points for how long it goes without getting caught but then the square gets points every time that it catches up to the plus sign and the main thing that makes this interesting is that you're going through a maze the whole time and there's an invisible line that goes down vertically from top to bottom that redraws the maze constantly so it's always a little bit different as you go through it and kind of puts new obstacles in your way it did cause me to run into something a little bit weird, which I don't know if it just happened in the version I was playing or if it would happen on the uh, original version too. But if it redrew a square and your character wasn't moving, you could get stuck in the square until it redrew the map again. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that was, again, I, I'm not sure if that was in the original format of it. Probably. Um, I don't know. Probably. I mean, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. And it did look like there were, as far as I could tell, kind of channels and 
columns, like lines wouldn't cross over to the other side of what was being generated. So I think there were only certain shapes and patterns that could be generated, and they kind of just randomly decided which shape went in each column to switch the maze up. Okay. And that's pretty much all I thought the game really had going for it, the uh, changing maze. (laughs) Just cat and mouse chasing each other around. For graphics, I gave it a 2 out of 10, just because it's a pretty neat-looking screen and the graphics were clear, but still, when you get right down to it, it is just a... uh, square chasing a plus sign and all black and white (laughs) yep for sound this one again atari showing that they're moving forward and innovating had sound gave it a one out of ten because it had a buzzing noises when the square catches the plus sign and also some uh weird beeps that get quicker and quicker as you get closer to the other player (laughs) (laughs) uh why don't we uh play a sound clip of that right now absolutely All right, and then so there's your example of some of the sounds that we had in Gotcha. And for gameplay, I gave it a 1 out of 10. It, you know, interesting, but I didn't see it as being super exciting. Um, but I could see how, with a lot of these arcade games, they're going to be a lot more fun in the time when you're huddled around the cabinet with one of your buds and you're really competing with them. Being kind of removed from that environment and playing it now just seems like, oh, why would anyone play this? But putting yourself in that mindset, I could see how it would have been a very fun game at the time. I feel like the concept is kind of cool, but I don't know. It seems like very simple, but the changing maze in the background was probably like the focus and not like the, how do we make this to a fun game? (laughs) Right. Yeah. The fact that the computer could make the changing maze. And that's why I was saying that's a lot of what this has going for it, because that's pretty impressive. And when you're putting a game over it, it's just the game that itself didn't seem super great when I was playing it. I mean, it Um, feels like kind of like a sci-fi sort of topic or i could see like some like the movie labyrinth or something where like you're in a maze and it's constantly changing and you can't get out or something but you're not trying to get out of this maze so (laughs) you're just trying to chase somebody else through it yeah that's a that's a good idea for a theme for that makes it a lot more spooky and uh the maze ever changing is kind of a interesting aspect of that yeah i feel like they could have maybe done a little bit more with that idea but maybe they you know it couldn't do anymore i don't know right yeah who knows what was going on at the time and for the relevance uh i didn't give it super high i did give it a two out of ten um because i think it is pretty innovative that there's that ever-changing maze and i'm not sure if it would directly influence anything but it does seem like it would have an effect on things in the future and it really reminded me a lot of pac-man how the maze worked and the fact that it was something chasing something else and I'd be curious to see when we eventually get the Pac-Man if there's any hints of this influencing that. Yeah, maybe. maybe um, so out. overall, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see because I could uh, definitely believable that the ever-changing maze and then two shapes chasing each other through the maze, even though Pac-Man has static mazes, it has different levels, seems pretty similar. And for my overall rating, I gave it a 1.5, my first half rating. Oh, and <laughs> getting into the halves now it's getting nitty gritty <laughs> because it has some elements that I thought were really innovative of course like the ever changing maze um, and it could be fun but as a whole it just kind of didn't really gel to make a interesting game overall seems fair yeah yeah it's a lot of cool stuff going for it but a lot of stuff where I'm just kind of like mm, could have done better <laughs> yeah I mean this is like right in 
the time period where Atari's like probably hiring like five people a day or something like that. So they, they right, got a lot right. going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for our next honorable mention, this is a complicated one because I didn't actually didn't see this one until I was researching pretty recently and it's called color gotcha and which is exactly gotcha which is what you just played but the the like edges of the maze are different colors so all the horizontal lines of the maze are like i want to say red and then all the vertical lines are blue and i think there were some like yellow ones mixed in or something like that interesting okay but otherwise gameplay is all the same and this is complicated because it's very contested as to when this came out if it's classified as the first color game that ever came out or or what so some people say it's the first color game to ever come out and part of that reasoning is from atari's own documents they say it came out the same month that gotcha did which would be october 73 and i kind of find that hard to believe because um yeah (laughs) usually some these, these things take time and even if it did come out during that time it's estimated that only around 10 machines are ever produced so i'm thinking that maybe what happened was they were experimenting with color made a couple machines maybe realized it was too expensive or whatever and just sold what they had but i don't know if we can call that as like a game release you know right yeah more like a prototype that they sold maybe or something Interestingly enough, some I did find a YouTube video. Somebody has one of those ten and it's working. So, oh, that's impressive. I know. I was like, I don't. I didn't even see any gotcha videos, but color gotcha, we got one. I guess because you know it might be significant because it was the first game with color. But mm-hmm. again, I don't. I don't. It's hard to say. Part of me feels like there's no way it came out in '73, and then part of me says, yeah, well, there's some sources that i trust that say it probably did so i don't know but i wanted to at least mention it we're obviously not going to rate it differently than gotcha probably i don't think color would have saved that game Wes, uh, I think? maybe bumped it up a point or two but that's probably it <laughs> yeah um but it is interesting it's definitely one of going to be one of the first ever color games but again since it was never mass produced i don't know if we can call it that but right Atari was at least looking into this technology at the time. So we'll talk about the first color game that really came out, I think, next episode or the episode after. So stay tuned for that. And finally, the last game of the day, Elimination, which I played. This game was by Key Games, which, if you remember from our special topic last episode, is actually just Atari in uh, October of 73. And it's sort of this four-player version of Pong, but it's a little different. Basically, how it works is, instead of 2v2, which is what Pong doubles is, it's kind of like 1v1v1v1, where each person has an edge of the screen. So one person is top, one person is right, one person is bottom, one person is left. And you're defending their side of the screen, right, from the ball. Um, Luckily, the corners are have like a wall so the the you don't need to defend the whole screen that you're on it's just kind of like the middle bit which yeah that's really nice because otherwise (laughs) you'd be scoring points left right and center um and the other really cool thing about it is once one of the players gets knocked out their whole edge becomes a wall 
So, oh, yeah, then the ball can bounce off the wall and the interact with the other players, and it doesn't just keep going off screen to somebody who's already dead, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is really good. Um, I really like that about elimination. Unfortunately, I couldn't find elimination to test and play this. I played uh, Atari would re-release this a little bit later, and with a name called Quadrapong. It's the same game. It's just one was by Key Games, one was by Atari. So I played Quadrapong to test this. We'll talk about it more when we get to Quadrapong's release date, which we will cover. But yeah, it's a good game. I like this game. Uh, I think it's by far the best Pong game that we've played because yeah. you have the four-player version, but everybody's for themselves. And when one person's out, the game continues in a way that's very fluid and natural. There's also little counters that show, I think everybody has like five lives or something like that at the beginning, and they go down one at a time as, you know, the ball gets past people. I think the the rate that the ball moves and the size of the paddles is just right. I think the concept behind it was really, you know, taking it to the next level and making it more fun in a gameplay sense, and maybe not as much in a technical sense, even though I... I think there is more technical things happening on this one, but I think it was the best of both worlds, really. So, yeah, I gave I gave the gameplay of Quadrapong, or I'm sorry, of uh, Elimination four and a half out of ten, which is pretty high wow. for me. Yeah, I yeah, feel like, especially from what we've covered so far. Yeah, I feel like if you've got three other buddies and you want to play a Pong game, play this game because it feels the most like a game that you would see today. I mean, right, I feel you like, could imagine a Flash version of this. That would still be something people would be playing. Yeah, or like I could see this in like, like a Mario Party mini game or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just it just feels like they thought of everything that would make the game stale, and it's you know they've corrected for it. So it always feels like you're in the game. You're in the game, even if you get knocked out of the game. The game is still going on. It's still fun and and high pace and there can even be some interesting things happening where like maybe like the right side and the top side are the last two people and it's kind of weird because you're aiming for the top you know right yeah um so yeah i think it i think it's a, a pretty interesting different take on pong even though it is very very similar you know you still just got the four sort of lines as paddles as a single ball but at least you have some boundaries when it comes to the ball can hit off the edges and be fine or the corners and be fine. Yeah, I, 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 I like this game. Something about it, just like, I was like, yeah, I can dig this. <laughs> um, for graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. I mean, it's still black and white. It's still just some lines and squares. But, right. you know, 1.5 out of 10 I think is fine. <laughs> for sound it did have sound it had some sound effects which uh why don't we play that right now so just some bleeps and bloops you know similar to some of the other games we've we've played but um interestingly enough i actually had sort of like a sound i don't know if we can call it a sound bug but uh like if you hit off like one of the side like one of the edges or corners or something that had a wall it would make a little uh ding bleep or whatever right mm-hmm. and 
I had it where like the bottom player was knocked out, so it's a solid line across. And you know if you've got the two paddles like directly like opposite one another, the ball's just gonna forever go in between them. Bounce, 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 right? Yeah. Not move. Well, somehow I got them so that both of those paddles are at the very edge of that line. <laughs> so remember if the ball touches the line, it has a little sound effect, and the ball literally just like went across the bottom line and didn't bounce up and it was like a constant it sounded like like feedback from a microphone or something like it sounded oh, that's terrible. terrible yeah <laughs> so yeah i don't know i give the sound a one <laughs> potential <laughs> potential to be bugged i'll say <laughs> um i mean it, it wasn't anything special i feel like a lot of it was just recycled pong sounds right but. yeah i'm sure yeah, I mean, it, it was nice that it had sound, for sure. And then, uh, for relevance, I gave it a 6 out of 10, because I thought it was a, a new take on Pong that was very cool and interesting, and I don't know, I, I it will inspire its own clones, which we'll get to in the next episode and the episodes after, so, you know, it's definitely not a one-hit wonder like Gotcha was. Right. We're going to be seeing this game a little <laughs> bit more. People are going to have their own spins on it. So I think 6 out of 10 is pretty fair. And that kind of brings it all to like a 3.5 out of 10 total, which is it's pretty high for me, I think. Still pretty good. That's up there with some of the tops that we've had so far. Yeah. I think of all the Pong clones and Pong itself, you know, I think Pong itself is pretty fun. But if you're looking for four player with some more intense gameplay, I think mm-hmm. this is what you're looking for. Because I think with one of the things with like the original Pong, if like you hit the ball, you don't really have to worry about it for a while. You know, you're just kind of watching it go. But with this one, you've got three other people that can hit the ball in any direction, any right. time. Always on your toes. You got to keep alert. Yeah. Is it going to be coming from the left player, the right player, you know, the person right across from me? So I thought it was a good one. I like this one. Nice. That's awesome. Glad you got to play something good. You're, you're getting some good games now, getting away from that slump. <laughs> I know. We'll see how long it goes. <laughs> I mean, Life and Life 2 were, I don't know if we can call them good games, but... Oh, okay. They, they you got potential. elimination. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I got elimination. I mean, I didn't... I felt... I would have felt bad if I gave you another Pong clone, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm appreciative for that. I enjoyed Check 73 and Gotcha. Um, it was there. It was there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, be sure to check us out on our website. Email us any questions you may have, especially, you know, we've covered a couple, like, kind of contested things today with Color Gotcha, the basic games, um, Allied Leisure. So, you know, we covered a lot today. I, th- I feel pretty good about it. How are you feeling, Wes? Feeling great, yeah. I think we're doing a good job and ready to move on to the next one. I'm glad you think we're doing a good job, Wes. That's the only thing that matters to me. <laughs> so that ends our you know, two-part episode here on the Pong era, era of 1973. Um, be prepared for next week's episode where we say goodbye to the Odyssey. So I'll miss you. I'll see it's going to be a rough there. farewell. <laughs> see you all then. Bye.